And welcome again to another episode of A Thousand One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And as we always do, before we get to our feature presentation, we're going to give you some weekly recommendations. Ian, do you want to start us off? I would love to, because I was excited about this film for a good long while, because I know it premiered at Cannes. Uh, incomplete in the summer of 2017, I think. Okay. And then uh, Amazon picked it up for distribution here in the States. Uh, you were never really here. <sighs> I'm excited to hear about this because it's, it's actually on my watch list, and I just haven't gotten to it yet. Now, my expectations were through the roof okay. on this thing uh, because I'd read a review comparing it to Taxi Driver, and Taxi Driver is one of my favorite films of all time. Okay. I've seen Taxi Driver more times than I think it is clinically sound to. I was going to say, I think I think you might need help. Uh, yes, I do. Oh, okay. I do. But that aside. Help me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's not really a fair comparison. This film, for me, has far more in common with Drive. Okay. Not just plot-wise... Because there's only one sequence in this film that I would say, okay, that kind of is reminiscent of Taxi Driver. Stylistically, this film takes a lot from Drive. I mean, and if you didn't know that the director was Lynn Ramsey, you could go, this could very easily be a Winding Refn film. Sure. It absolutely could. In its minimalist approach, in its sense that... I always feel like there's something missing from Winding Refn films. Like Like they're Terrence Malick films. Like they shoot so much more than they need. And then they pare it down to the absolute basic minimum version of that film that it possibly can be. I'm I've only seen Bronson and Drive. Okay, you didn't see Only God Forgives. No, I didn't want to. Oh, Only God Forgives was when that came out, 2013. That would make sense. That was my second favorite film of the year after Lewin Davis. Man, I heard just terrible things oh, about it. Oh, I I don't understand why. Okay, it's All right. so good. It's so unique. As are most of Winding Reference films. True. I also love Valhalla Rising with Mads Mikkelsen. That is another absolutely minimalist film where I go, they must have shot more than this. I feel like he does. He writes you know, more traditional scripts, and then he just pulls away at stuff and pairs it down and just gives you, like I said, the most minimal version of that film that there is. And, and it's, it's the same with You Were Never Really Here. Okay. Like, there's a lot of subtext that isn't really explained there are flashbacks and i mean flashbacks in an almost realistic way in the fact in the way that we actually remember things Mm -hmm. which is incredible and you'll see what i mean when you watch it yeah it's it is it's it's high up the list and joaquin does i think some of his best work since walk the line uh uh, certainly work as good as what he did 
in uh, the Paul Thomas Anderson films that he's been in. Oh, the master! Oh. The ma- he's so good in the master. <sighs> I my, the master is my favorite Joaquin performance, and I, this this I'd is have very, to agree. This is very close. Yeah, this this is as good as I won't say as good as that, but it's in the same league. Sure, as that. I also really love Inherent Vice. I know that that wasn't a that's not a popular opinion. No, no, it's it's just kind of, and that's got nothing to do with me being a Paul Thomas Anderson fan. I just genuinely liked that movie. Sure, it's ridiculous. It is. It, it feels like him kind of like loosening his belt a little bit. I'm gonna have some fun. I've done a lot of serious movies. Well, PTA, yeah, 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 I agree. But anyway, you're never really here. So uh, describing the plot would kind of sound a lot like Taken to some people, I guess, because what he what he does, he, he's not out to rescue his own daughter, but he goes out and finds girls that are lost or girls that are taken and the reason people go to him is because he doesn't care about the how and and the why or any any way to get it done he's going to get it done and it's going to be violent and brutal and these people that took your daughter they're going to pay for what they did Mm -hmm. because he has no scruples whatsoever and there's also again flashbacks and memory play into that You, you know he was a veteran of a war and that has left him completely battered and scarred and physically and mentally scarred. And, sure. And he just doesn't, as far as I can tell, he doesn't care whether he lives or dies. In fact, there are certain times in the movie where you're like, is he trying to kill himself right now? Sure. Yeah. It's just, it. I will say it wasn't as good as what I, it's not as good as I feel it can be. And it's not as good as what I was expecting it to be. But it's still a damn good movie, and a yeah. movie I'm really excited about revisiting and, and digging deeper into the subtext of and, and looking more closely at some of the nuances uh, of his performance and his character. Yeah. And it's got uh, a, a, an ending that I love. I love movies that just kind of end, that you go on this journey, and they just, like Coen Brothers ending. It's got that, it's got a winding ref and ending. It's got a Coen Brothers ending. The, the, the end of the journey isn't as important as the journey itself. So it's got you could say it's got an anticlimactic ending. Sure. That's a great segue into the movie that I want to recommend. Awesome. So, I'm a pretty big I'm I'm becoming a big Denis Villeneuve fan. Oh, he is fantastic. Um and, and I've just lo- I've cheated. I've looked across at your notes. I'm yeah. really excited about this. So, um and I've seen most of his movies. Um You saw Prisoners, right? Yes. Prisoners is my favorite of his. I love Prisoners. Prisoners is amazing. Prisoners is great. Yeah. Sicario is great. Blade Runner 2049 is great. Yeah. And so I was, again, going through Netflix and looking at movies and, and trying to see what I had seen. And I, I had, you had mentioned this one before, too. And I, I knew it was a movie of his that I, I haven't seen. And so my recommendation is called Enemy. Oh, um, I love this film so much. Which uh, came out the same year as Prisoners. So another pretty great we, year. What a double for, feature. Uh, for him. I, I, well, I think the way it worked out, I think they they shot Enemy first, but it was released after Prisoners. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, plot-wise, Jake Gyllenhaal plays this professor of philosophy, I think. Oh, he's a history. Sorry, he's a history professor. And he lives a pretty quiet Fairly boring life. He has a relationship with uh, Melanie Laurent, who you might know from um, either Beginners or Inglorious Bastards. And they're a couple, but I don't know if they're married. They have a really interesting relationship. I don't. I don't think that. From what I remember, I don't. I didn't feel like they were. Married. I don't think they're married, but they're no. but they're a couple. Yeah. One night, Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I, I'm, let me get the character. In. Okay, Adam Bell, the professor. Uh, he rents a movie, and as he's watching this movie, he sees 
himself. Well, I think he's recommended one of his students says I saw it's a, this. It's thing. a teacher. It's a it's a fellow oh, professor. It's a fellow teacher. Yeah, okay. recommends you should, you should watch this movie. So he watches it and he sees himself in it and he it, it starts to it starts to become the focal point of everything. Is I, this guy looks like me. And so he looks it up and sure enough there's an actor across town that looks like him. The actor uh so the other person that looks like him is is Daniel St. Clair. And there is another person out there that looks just like Adam Bell. And so if you had to talk about the plot of this movie, it's these two sort of dealing with the fact that there is somebody out there who looks like them. Um, well, not, and not just looks like them. Oh, I the, mean, they, they're, they're, they're flat out doppelgangers. Yeah it's, ide- yeah, it's identical. The movie's good enough on that alone. And, and how, especially how the Daniel St. Clair, the actor, kind of handles the situation is really, really interesting. Because uh, he does have a pregnant wife who gets involved because she goes to the campus and she sees the other person who looks just like her husband and now she knows about what's going on. But beyond that, and and the movie is really interesting if you just think about these characters and their relationships. But early on, the the very, very start of this movie is one of these two, I assume it's the actor, but you don't really know, is at this interesting club slash ritual slash I don't know what the hell and there's a crazy weird dance going on and it looks like a woman's about to step on a tarantula and then later in the movie it looks like there's a giant tarantula in the sky and then I'm not going to say the ending of this movie because I would just confuse you if you haven't seen it but this movie also just ends but in a way where you're like what? Yeah. and I will say Melissa hated this movie i can see that but i found it really interesting and it's actually pretty short i think it's like a solid hour and a half like it is just 90 minutes boom and it moves it does yeah and i think similarly to yours like i need to watch this again because i need to pick up i need to see what clues there were that i missed because i know that there are i know first watch i missed stuff i know i did well i i might be wrong but I think I remember either seeing an interview with Denis or or reading an interview or something like that where he said that he, he's never going to reveal what the spider means. Oh, so I have actually I have right here. Um, he said um, regarding the two physically identical. Well, not about the spiders, but this is what he said. He goes, you don't know if they are two in reality or maybe from a subconscious point of view. There's just one. It's maybe two sides of the same persona or a fantastic event where you see another self, but doesn't say anything. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, intentionally keeping it vague. Well, it supposedly there, there is a reason there are reasons for the, the spider imagery that both he and, and Jalen Hall, they're kind of in on it. And well, like, I'm, we're I'm never sure. going to, we're never going to tell you. Yeah. It's, it, it's like spider stuff aside, like the, the, the story is compelling and I think, I think you'll enjoy it no matter what. But it's it all it is all that stuff with the spiders that makes you want to delve in deeper. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. For me, it, it has something to do with symmetry, but I might be wrong. Yeah, sure, I, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of thinkers and 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 really like movies that make you want to re-examine them a lot, um, our movie today. Well, that's actually a, a even better segue than you think it is because this film and that deals with points of view. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. Conflicting points of view. And uh, the movie that we're talking about today is our first Kurosawa, and we are talking about Rashomon. Some uh, would say his first masterpiece. I think that's a safe 
yeah. safe thing to say. Yeah. yeah. So it came out in 1950. Didn't come out until the end of 51 in the States, though. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going by the, the book and all that. Yeah. So it's directed by Kurosawa. It's written by him and uh, Shinobu Hashimoto, who I watched a little bit about him. He seems like an, an interesting an interesting cat, this yeah. guy. Well, he also he worked on a lot of screenplays with Kurosawa, yeah, most yeah. prolifically Seven Samurai and, and Hidden Fortress. Yes. And and there's a lot of um, a lot of familiar faces. If you've seen Seven Samurai, um, you'll you'll recognize Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura. Uh, Toshiro Mifune plays uh, Tajimoro, and uh, Shimura plays the woodcutter. Also, Machiko Kyo, Kyo, I don't know, plays the uh, the wife, and Masayuki Mori plays uh, his, his character name is Takahiro, but he's he's the husband. And then, um, Minoru, or he's referred to as a samurai as yes, well. Yes, samurai. At yeah, yeah. Point. And then, um, Minoru uh, Chiaki plays the priest. Those are the ones I wrote down. Yeah, there's, I, also there's also the Kihichiro Yuida as the the commoner. Thank you. Is what yes, he's yes, referred yes. to as. So other films by Kurosawa that are in the book are Akiru. Have you seen this? I haven't seen Akiru. Okay, I haven't. But yet. I know that was one of his most personal films. Okay, one of the ones he was very one. It's, it's a personal story, and two, he's very proud of or was very proud of it. Sure. Um, Seven Samurai, which I have seen, which should go without saying, is Throne of Blood. Have not seen, which I think you'll enjoy very much. I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but it's it's his version of Macbeth. Macbeth, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Dursu Uzala, I, I know, I know it's in the book, but I don't. Yeah, uh, okay, I, I don't know anything about. And that then one. Uh, and Ran, is which also is his version of, of King, Lear, King Lear, which what, is my. I'll just go out on and say it right now, Ran is my favorite chorus alpha. Well, what I'll say is, is I need to watch it again because I watched it with King Lear in mind because I was because Edgar was my thesis role in grad school, and um, it didn't give me any help. It didn't give me anything no. to work with, no. and and so I think I was let down in that sense, and so I need to give it another rewatch, which of course I will at some point for the for the podcast. And um, if you're okay with me throwing it out there, our uh, friends at Cinemusts, uh, this is oh, Mike's sure. Mike's favorite Coruscant film. I know they've done a, a Rashomon episode. I recently. I think I have to agree. I think it. it I, we talked about this a little bit earlier that your your top three are Ran. Rashomon, Seven and then Samurai. Seven, Seven Samurai would come in at third. See, I think I'm. I think now at this moment I'm Rashomon, Seven Samurai ran. Okay, but I know Ran deserves a sec like a second viewing. Uh, not, yeah, that, that's not obscured not, with my grad school. Well, it's, stuff. it's it's like Seven Samurai. You can't. You literally cannot take in that whole film in in one viewing session. It demands multiple sure. viewings. Uh, a movie that's not in the book of his is High and Low, which I thought was, and which is what I thought this I think episode it was, was going to be about. Point. It might have been. Yeah, as I well have the as... Criterion. I was, I was really just excited to watch it, and that's yeah. why I was like, I want to pick this one. I, maybe I'm mistaken, but I think Stray Dog was in there at one point. That sounds like it might have been, yeah. Which is, it was a great film uh, about a, a police officer that loses his gun and has to go on a manic search for it, which... Anybody, the Paul Walker film is actually the reason why I tracked it down. Oh, so I'm gotcha. like, I, this plot seems familiar to me. I've read about this somewhere. I was like, oh, Stray Dog. The the running scared was the, the Paul Walker film. Gotcha. Yeah. Which is a guilty pleasure of mine. I haven't seen it, but that's fine. And I've, I, dude, I have a worse a Paul Walker movie that's a personal favorite of mine. Well, just pick any one of the Fast and Furious. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's worse than that. The Skulls. I don't even know you right now. Great. Um, accolades. Uh, many people say that Rashomon was the movie that spawned the Academy to create a best foreign film category. Uh, because 
it technically won that, but it wasn't really a category at that time. Yeah, it was more of an honorary yeah. award. Although it was technically nominated for Best Art Direction. Right. But that was the year after. I, I don't know. Is there any other film that's been either won an award and then been nominated for it in two different years? I don't this think is, so. This has got to be the exception. Probably Because it is. won that honorary award in 1952, and then it was nominated again in 1953 for that art and set decoration. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure. But probably. Yeah. It's got to be a, a, a real, uh, not real, but a groundbreaking film in that, yeah. in that sense. Well, and I think the, I don't know what the movie was, but I think the first official foreign film award for the Video Academy it was 1956. Okay. And we, we should have done more research, or I should have done yeah. more research, because I, I wrote down the year, but I didn't write down the movie. That's fine. <laughs> um, so it, it won the BAFTA for Best not Non-Foreign Film. He was nominated for a DGA, which is pretty, yeah, pretty great. That's awesome. Also won Best Director and Foreign Film, uh, the National Board of Review. But I think I think the I think the big one that's worth mentioning is the Venice Film Festival. Yeah, the highest honor that you can get at the Venice Film Festival, which is the Golden Lion. Yeah, and it, it that's what like people weren't quite sure if this was gonna even be a hit or like or register with people. And when this happened, like this really, yeah, the studio was very unsure about yeah. this film. Yeah, and weren't even considering releasing it outside of Japan. I, I can't. Is it Dae? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say it wrong, but yeah, but yeah, they were not. They were not confident in this movie whatsoever. No. There was this uh, director's top ten. I don't. I, I, I didn't write down who did this, but um, apparently, like a list of directors did a ranking, and uh, it was number ten in 1992 and number nine in 2002 as the best movies of all time. And um, Empire ranked at number 290 on, of the 500 greatest films of all time. Um, and number twenty-two in uh, the top one hundred in world cinema. Those those lists are kind of obscure, and I don't quite yeah, know. But, but but it's on the IMDb two fifty as oh, well. Yeah. It's number one twelve yes. on there at the moment. Uh, and then the Rotten Tomato score we got ninety-eight. Yeah. And the audience is just a little bit behind it at ninety-three. Yeah. It's also funny little tidbit. I know uh, Robert Altman is on the Criterion. He's yeah. a favorite of his. I know it's also a favorite of Sidney Lumet's because he remade it for TV. Yeah. And then uh, it's one of Woody Allen's. 10 favorite films of all time. I okay. don't know how much stock you want to put in that, but yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Actually, I, I have a not, a, not a funny story, but I, this was, um, this movie was introduced to me in my, uh, my film class, the one film class I took in, uh, at Western when I was an undergrad. And most of the movies that we, we watched, I'd actually, I'd seen before. There were two that I hadn't, uh, both of them are in this book. Actually, one was crumb, which is that documentary. Yeah. Which I don't know if you've seen it. That is a, weird movie about a very strange individual um and then and then Rashomon and I hadn't I hadn't seen it and Rashomon then and now blew blew me away well there's no way you weren't gonna like Rashomon and I know that because you're a big fan of Snake Eyes ah, which yeah. is one of the films one of the many films that uses what is now it coined its own term it's they use the Rashomon effect, Rashomon effect yeah. for you know unreliable narrators or the same story from different points of view with varying sort of degrees of truth. Another one that I'm a big fan of is the Jet Li film Hero, which does a very similar thing. Oh, true. That yeah. is true. It does do that. And even to a degree, uh, some people have compared The Usual Suspects to Rashomon. I can see that. I also kind of see Memento, too. Yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, it's it's harder because there's a, a mental thing with that. But, right. you know. Yeah. He's still an unreliable narrator. Yeah. I think the thing, too, that I really like about this movie uh, and I hate it when movies do it where there's no reason for it, is the idea of how we get 
flashbacks because I think I think flashbacks can be really really lame if not done right but like the reasons for this are all they're all there right you know yeah. we start with the the woodcutter and the priest and they're huddling under the you know the torrent the broken down Rashomon and stuff and the uh, the commoner comes up and you know he sees that they're distraught and then the story comes up and they they explain I mean and the, yeah. the flashbacks come through the natural storytelling while but, we're while we're at the gate yeah so to speak I, I one I didn't mean to, to derail you there but while while we're at the gate I was really surprised to learn that they they built that thing that wasn't a thing that was just there they built it and the reason why the roof is incomplete yeah. and what makes for that great the rain coming through the roof which is such a great coincidence the actual foundation and the support couldn't support the full weight of a complete roof yeah. so they're like we'll just half build it yeah. and make it look dilapidated like it's in in disrepair and things like that which what a great way to work around that and then to have it pay off yeah and and just make the set look glorious all the rain dripping through oh it's and, great and you feel like yeah they're in shelter but how much shelter are they really getting under this yeah, thing clearly not much and the and the rain itself amazed to learn because i mean it's hard to make rain show up on black and white oh, so they, they yeah, tainted it with, with black ink yeah that's in, what ingenious ways to and you know i and I, I read that actually before re-watching it for the podcast and i tried to really i didn't they said that there's moments where you can kind of see it that it's ink i i was looking for it too and I, I didn't see it no um which is great on them i mean i, yeah, I didn't yeah. really notice anything no not at all the, the, i was just talking about the, the flashbacks and 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 i hate I particularly hate when movies start not at the beginning, you know, and then like the movie starts and it's like three weeks earlier and there's no reason for it at all. The, the worst example I'm thinking of is that comes up in mind is, is swordfish and that, that, oh. that cold open when they're in the coffee shop and then the thing explodes and the ball rolls up and then it's like, you know, well, you know, the reason they did that ago. is because they want to be like, yeah, they want to have their big bullet time effect right at the beginning of the movie to be like, look, we're reusing this handy trick from, you know, The Matrix. Sure, but but I'm talking any movie. Yeah. Even if it's just like a straight drama. There's yeah. no, I mean, any movie that starts one way because it's going to seem kind of cool to then go backwards when there's when there's no reason for it. I find that interesting coming from a person that loves Pulp Fiction so much. But Pulp Fiction is all over the place. I, yeah. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I, I totally agree. Oh with no, you. I know. I'm you just are. trying to bust are. your balls a little bit. If they were true flashbacks and the, the, it was a totally linear story from beginning, middle to end, anyway, but it's it. Anyways, yeah. it's not. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting is the two stories that essentially spawned the the script for this. Yeah, there there are two short stories. Uh, both I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation of this person's name. So if you if you would like to have a go, oh. Last name is, uh, Ak- no, nah, I'm not. <laughs> Akutagawa. There you go. Thank you. I won't. I won't try to say the first name, but but the the short stories are both by Akutagawa. Yeah, and they're they're great. They're in the. This is a great opportunity for us to plug Criterion as we Criterion. like to do. Criterion. You guys did a fabulous job with this one. Yeah. And and the little booklet is probably one of the best ones that's in any Criterion. I love the fact that they reprinted the short stories so you yeah. have those for context and they're they're great stories. I think I think the only book that I like more is the one for uh, Ichimama Tambien. It's it's really good. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Like there's there's like full backstories on the characters and like the short story was based on it, it's Oh, that's awesome. It's it's got it's chock full of stuff. It's yeah. it's really informative. So yeah, th- I mean, here's a context where we could talk about kind of the genesis of the, of the script and then combining these two um, these two short stories. Really, it's in a grove. Yeah, in a grove is really the script for this. And then he uses 
Rashomon as the the sort of framework to put that in. Yeah, um, there were talks of potentially the the male character in the Rashomon short story who um, steals the clothes from the old woman, possibly being Tajimoro, like ultimately being that's who it was. Yeah, that can but, that can work. But they 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 scrapped that. They yeah. they thought that would make it a little too complicated. So, and, yeah. it's a, and it's a short movie. It's 88 minutes. It's not like they didn't have the time yeah. to do that if they wanted to. The only – and then uh, in a grove, it's all the testimonials. So it's it's the woodcutter and the priest yeah. and everybody. The only the only person who's in the short story that doesn't make it into the movie is the wife's mother has a testimonial in the book. Yeah. And she, she basically, I think – yeah, she didn't want the marriage. She didn't want him to marry a samurai. Uh, but that doesn't make it into the movie. And ultimately, it's not needed. I think that's uh, yeah. as a film, that would be the first thing that I would probably cut to. So, do we want to break down the plot a little bit for anybody that hasn't seen Rashomon? Yeah, let's do it. So we have uh, the woodcutter. He's walking through the grove, and now this leads into uh, this is. I think it's it is legitimately credited as the first film where they ever pointed the camera up at the sun. And of course, what's really nice about that is both Kurosawa and his cinematographer they both give each other credit for that. Yeah. Which is, you know, one of those things, which for me shows great respect between the two of them that neither one of them would want to take full credit for something like that because yeah. it's been used endlessly since. Yeah, yeah. Especially by somebody like Malik, who we mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah. So the woodcutter comes across the body of the uh, the husband. and then Oh, man. Great tracking shot. Well, the, yes, it is. But also, I just I remember, like, the hands are, like, the rigor mortis of oh, the yeah. hands. Yeah, It's... That's spooky. It's disturbing. Yeah. Because you don't see the face. It, it's literally like the camera would be like would where be his, his face yeah. is. And this the hands sticking up into the frame. It's, it's Yeah, this this film was also really revolutionary for I think a lot of the POV work in it. Yeah. Getting to see literally see from the character's point of view. Yeah. Uh, so he discovers the body and then we cut to the testimonials or the first of the testimonials. Yeah. So you have Tajimoro, the bandit, he goes first, and he's very unrepentant of what he's done. He mm-hmm. doesn't care. He's laughing about it. He, uh, he even makes a little quip about being impressed uh, by the man that he's killed, saying that he crossed swords with him 23 times. Yes. And that he respected him for that. But anyway, before he, he kills him, he's sitting there under the tree. There's that wonderful shot where the... The, the, the breeze. The, the breeze and the branches, the silhouette of the branches on his face as he's kind of lazing there. And the, he says it's ultimately the wind led him to kill. Because yeah. they pass by him. She's up on a horse. The samurai, the husband, is leading the horse. And then the wind blows back her veil, revealing his face, which kind of stokes his lust. Yeah, and that I remember I wrote down one of the notes I had was just you know, how, how terrible fate can be. Yeah. You know, cause you pick a different tree to lean against, you know, the, it's not windy that day or what, what, you know, and then any yeah, of, the movie doesn't happen. No, of, of course, exactly. But it's just, it's, that's how crazy a small thing like that can yeah. be, you know? And it's and, great writing. It's oh yeah. Great, like nuanced, very detailed writing, just yes. something like that. Just being the catalyst yeah. for all of this happening. Anyway, he leads the husband into the woods claiming that he's found swords and mirrors and stuff that they can sell. And that's it. I mean, I can't tell. Like, I, I want to dissect it a little bit because it's like, okay, either that's kind of lame writing or it's meant to show how gullible the husband is, or or, or I, I can't I don't know I can't quite put it together, but it's like 
Well, this Dude. is set. This is set in like the 11th or 12th century. It's yes. a, it is a period piece. Oh no! Oh, we absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. it's like swords and mirrors had a lot more value than they do now. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't. I'm not saying on the value. Yeah. But I'm just like some strange guy. Come, I've got this treasure that apparently I haven't taken yet, and I want to share it with you, strange man. Yeah. It. Yeah. It. it okay. It's really nitpicky. I'll, I love I'll go, this. Movie, I'll go with but, you on but that. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Anyway, so he he leads him there ends up tying him up and then getting the wife and bringing her back and then essentially having his way with her well she kind of she kind of gives into him there's that great sort of cutting back and forth between the three of them which is i feel like leone would borrow a lot from doing stuff like the good the bad and the ugly and the the quick cuts back and forth between the three of them and just their eyes and watching their decision making happening she kind of gives into him because she knows that she can't best him and then she sees, you know, the, 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 the shame that the husband feels. Yeah. And, you know, she, she can't get over the, the way that he's looking at her. And uh, she insists that, that one of them must die because of this, uh, her shame at having known two men now, right? And so, you know, they, they fight and the bandit bests the husband. He throws his sword into him and then he blames the husband's death on her like she instigated this entire thing which is a little bit messed up and then he abandons her yeah essentially only to be found later by a guy who found him complaining of a stomach cramp because supposedly he drank from a stream well no he's the guy saw him being thrown from the horse but he claimed he had a stomach cramp from drinking from a stream that had a, a dead snake in it which is a very oddly very detailed thing yeah i that's that's part of it too is is i i know it well Granted, we de- we never really know the real the real story about what yeah. happened. Which of well, course every, is... Robert Altman said it best in, on the on the disc when yeah. he says everything is true and nothing is true. Yeah, I wrote that yeah. down. I also yeah, I liked his audience as interrogator, which I think is great because yeah. you know. Well, I guess the there is somebody actually credited as the interrogator in in the end credits for the film. So at some point, they either must have have shot the reverse of that to show somebody or. Maybe there was vo- maybe it was just voiceover work that well, they cut. I whatever they. I'm glad they did it the way they did. No, it. I yeah. I like it too. I like not being the interrogator. That we, as you as you say, the audience is the interrogator at that yeah. point. Like we are looking for the truth. Yeah. There. So there was something else that this movie made me think about, and um, I'm not trying to veer so far off the the plot. Well, because there are there are four other there are three other versions of the story. That was just the bandits. Yes. Yes. We get the bandits. We get the wives. We get the dead husbands through a medium. And then um, we get what is probably the closest to the truth, but it's still being told through somebody else, yeah. so it's going to have a spin on it. Sorry, we're talking about the, the woodcutter's, the woodcutter's story. second version. Yes. Yeah. So there's this um, there's this theory out there. It's called collision theory. And uh, basically what it is is it talks about particles and how you can make particles um, interact or collide uh, how you can how you can increase the odds of that happening, and uh, I, I I have the idea of actually taking this and making this into a, a play at some point. I want to really want to write something about this because it's really interesting. Because there's things like you would you can you can uh, decrease the space. If you, know, if you decrease decrease the space, the chances of these uh, molecules colliding increases. Or if you um, increase the temperature, or if you add more molecules, there's all these things that you can do that can increase the chance of a collision. And so when you think about the, just the fact that these, this husband and wife passing by Tajimura when they did, it's not just how big of a space it is, but it's also like I felt it felt very claustrophobic because all of the overhanging trees and stuff. Yeah. It just felt like 
these were molecules that were bound to collide. Like I, I, I don't know how big the landscape is of where we are in, in the in that world, but I just when it when everything happened the way that it did, I was like, man, these. Because then I, I, I think the um, I don't remember whose story it was, but when the wife like does her crazy laugh. I think that's like in the. I think that's in the final story. That's in the woodcutter. Okay, that's why I got. That's yeah. what I thought too. Like she's crying. She's crying, and then it just changes right into this menacing laugh. Because in her version, she is just a victim. Which I mean, she is. I'm not going to take mm. anything away from that. As far as we know, she was raped. So yeah, that's she like, is a, she that's is like a victim. The one, that's the like one. The, con- that's the one constant. Yeah, or one of them. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, the, obviously the, the the other constant being that the husband that's dies. Dies. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's really all you have to work on, but the, the motivations for it and why it happened, those change. Yeah. So you have her story where she's, you know, she's hysterical, she's crying in the courtyard. What I love about her story is is when they actually cut to her in the courtyard, she's digging her hands. That's a, a detail I really love. Yeah. There's, there's, I don't think there's a close-up of it. It's just something she's doing in her desperation. She's digging her hands into the sand of the courtyard. That's that's a, a, a just a, a little random detail that I made sure to make make note of because I just I it's a it's just a nice subtle nuance yeah. in her performance. When we get to the medium telling the story of the of the dead husband, no. Well, first of all, that voice that comes out is scary as shit. That's some great audio manipulation. Man, that's, that's some good that was, sound design right yeah, there. Yeah, that was that was real creepy, and I think. It's his version of the story that I think is the most um, heartbreaking. Yes. And it's his silence that leads into him crying. It's just, oh, it's just gut-wrenching. You just, you feel it so much. And then in that version where he kills himself... Well, it, he stabs himself, and he's falling, and then it cuts the yes. medium who's... Oh, my God. Mimicking That's that, that, yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. That is... Now, I was wondering... I thought that maybe you would feel the movie jumps the shark at that point. To no. To coin the television phrase that, oh, there's a medium, and somehow he's... We're going to go on this journey, and we're going to you know, give it the suspension of disbelief that this medium can actually do what she says she does. Because mediums are, are actually... I did some research on this. Mediums are actually a, a very large part... Maybe not a large part, but there's, there's certainly a part of, of Japanese culture. And I even wrote down uh, what they're called, itaku... Uh, and they've been around in Japanese culture since the ninth or 10th century. Uh, though, to be more accurate, I guess um, they're, they're more associated with blind women. So she would have been, to be more accurate, this character may or may not have had to have been blind. Okay. Yeah. They, they see, from my very quick reading and, and, and doing some research on them, it seems like the, the, the blindness is connected to that link to another world or a spiritual world so is your were you asking me if i like if i bought it yeah yeah like, like do you do you buy into that i do and you and you go along with it yeah i mean i i do as well i was just curious to see because i could see how a modern audience would be pulled out of that point. i think if it, if it was a modern day story i would but, for but because reason, it's a period piece because yeah. it's set in the 10th or 11th century you feel that that's a that's an easier sell yeah yeah for yeah. me yeah yeah and i just it's just really I just really like the storytelling too. Yeah, no, it's really it's really poignant and well done. Um, and I I love how the atmosphere in the courtyard kind of changes as she's almost channeling. This yeah, way. it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's really well shot. Yeah, it is. It, it's evocative. It, it's 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 really well done. 
I, I'm not trying to jump the question a little bit, not not the big question, but um, uh, in terms of favorite shot, because we're getting close to mine. I'm wondering what your favorite shot is in this. Well, movie. there's there's one that I skipped over in Tajimuro's story, which there's the framing of it, <clears throat> and the camera move itself is almost fairy tale like. It's after he's gone off with the husband, and she's alone by the stream, and there's that great pan down to her just in the grove, if you will, mm-hmm. by herself, and the lighting is just awe-inspiring in that scene. I really, like, for black and white cinematography, it, it still looks astounding. I don't feel like... It feels timeless. It doesn't feel like something... Obviously, it's something that's shot in 1950, but I, it doesn't smack of the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, like, as I'm trying to say, it's it's a timeless shot, I guess. And there's another one I think I did write down. My absolute favorite shot is in the final story, in the woodcutter's story, when he gets to the end and after... So what's great about the woodcutter story is the, the fights between the husband and uh, the, the bandit there. It's, it's prolonged and they pull the music out and it's just their heavy breathing, the panting, the desperateness what? of one of these men is going to kill the other and they're kind of like gingerly about the way that like... Because this is a real fight. Well, it's messy. That's yeah, what I wrote down. I love that it wasn't this choreographed thing. It's yeah. too... I don't. I don't mean scared as in chicken, but like, yeah, scared as in like my life is on the yeah. line and a samurai sword going through my foot. That's gonna hurt. Yes, it's, yeah. it's gonna suck. Exactly. And I love the just at the end the way the Tajimura is just stood there and he's dripping sweat and he's dirty. There's bits of dirt all over him and it's it's not a clean samurai fight that we've seen in so many other stylized films. No, yeah. it's it's messy as you said and it's dirty and it's it's it feels like a real fight between two men who don't necessarily want to take each other's lives, but they've been goaded into it yeah. by this woman who is, is, is now in her shame and in her anger is is provoked them. Yeah. But the the shot, sorry, I, I kind of, I, I went the long route in, in okay. setting up what the shot was, is it's his back to the camera and the desperate sounds of his panting, trying to catch his breath, and it's, it's kind of shot, it's the way it's framed between the trees, it's just astounding to me it's one of it's one of the most beautiful shots in any black and white film i've ever seen yeah just him alone with what he's done and his breathing with his back to us yeah mine is it's it's right at the start of the fight where it um it starts in it's a tight on her face and it pulls out and the swords come in to focus oh yeah and then and then it pulls back further and we see him up there and you can and it, it leads to the how timid they are yeah the pull back and the reveal is it's great no. Yeah, the dolly work, the camera work in this movie is fantastic. Yeah. And, and and you're right, it, you do, it does not smack of 1950s at all. It just feels nice and smooth and clean. Which which is what makes this film, as as I said, Akira, uh, Akira Kurosawa's first masterpiece. Yeah. Is there is a timeless feel to this film, and in, in its in its technical achievement and in its storytelling. I mean, it was genuinely ahead of its time, which is why I, I don't think the studio really knew what to do with it or how to market it or really feel like it should get yeah. worldwide distribution, which thank God that they relented. Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't really talked about the framework of the story. We haven't really talked about the three guys who are taking shelter under the Rashomon gate, yeah. re- retelling these stories mm-hmm. that they heard in the courtyard and the fact that they are telling them to a third man who, as I was when I was referencing him, in my notes, I was calling him the cynic rather than the commoner. Oh, I think I referenced him as the douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of his, his outlook. 
you know, he's he doesn't care well about the the morality of this tale. He's just being entertained by it. While meanwhile, the woodcutter obviously knows more than he's letting on to, yeah. and then the priest is is having a crisis of faith. Yes. See, I I only cynic is probably more more correct. I only I only say douchebag because I know where he ends up. Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the movie, which we can jump straight there. I mean, the movie ends with them all having told their tale, and the woodcutter finally tells his longer version yeah. of the story that he told. He he didn't want to tell his story so that he didn't get involved. But the thing is that the cynic is on to him because she has a dagger and it's missing. And it had a beautiful pearl inlay pearl because inlay, yeah. the t- Tajimuro in his story says, the only thing I regret is not going back for that beautiful dagger. Yeah. And so the dagger wasn't there at the scene of the crime. So if the woodcutter's story is true he must have taken it. Sure. And the, the, the commoner, the cynical character, is on to him. And then there, we get further cynicism when they discover, after they've told their stories, that there's a baby there that has been left at the gates, and it's wrapped in a kimono, and it has this amulet that the whoever, whatever couple abandoned it, left there to protect it, and there's a kind of a fight over the baby because the, the commoner steals the kimono that yeah. it's wrapped in. And say, How can you be... How can you be so cruel? How can you be so evil? And he, you know, he says back to the, uh, you know, he says back to uh, both of them, you know, if you, if you're not selfish, you can't survive. Yeah. And then he just leaves and they're left. And that's another great shot that I love is just the two of them stood there holding the crying child. Yeah. And, and the priest not sure whether he really wants to give up the baby or not to this, the woodcutter. Yeah. Because he. Uh, eight kids of his own. Yeah, and, so one more isn't yeah. going to hurt anything, and so he gives it to him, and he walks off smiling. And the pre- You get the feeling that the priest's faith has kind of been restored through this act of, of generosity and selflessness. Yeah, the, um, it's, uh, the woodcutter has a line I wrote down. It, it, it might be my favorite line in the movie. Um, he says, it's inevitable to be suspicious of others on a day like this. Yeah. That is such great writing. And it's it's great, not just within the context of the story, but that's just a time. Like, you could say that whenever. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very true. That, to me, to that, that should be up there as far as iconic lines with stuff like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, or, you know, the beginning of a beautiful friendship from Casablanca. That is one of those great, for yeah. me, iconic lines in world cinema. There's also another one about, you know, most of the time, we can't even be true with ourselves, which is really at the end of the day for me. What this film boils down. Oh to. yeah, I wrote. I wrote down another. It's it's human to lie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's human to lie. Most of the time, we can't even be honest with ourselves. I think is is the full line. Yeah, and this movie, this movie does something interesting, and um, I I I've I've thought about this before at different times, and I I love this idea of truth versus facts, right? That you know, a f- one plus one equals two is a is a fact. Right. It's also it's the truth, but it's a fact. And then, but this idea of what is just what is truth. Yeah, because my truth is not the same as your truth. Exactly. Because it, we have to filter it through our own yeah emotions, the way we feel about something, you know, through our own subconscious. Yeah, it, it's it, this. Yeah, this movie is great at, at making you try to piece together this puzzle, and you know, and it does. Like it's it's funny. It hasn't happened, hasn't happened too many times in life, but you know, when when you know two people well and you hear the same story from both people, but you hear the differences that and how they told it. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, what, you know, which version do I want? Do this sounds more truthful or, or like, you know, and then your, your own bias comes in of, well, I know this person more. So do I, do I inherently believe them 
their story more or what you know whatever it is and it's just yeah it's it, it it certainly makes you think what do you think about the baby coming in at the end i think it's an easy way out yeah i kind of do too i'm not going to say it's lazy writing because it leads into to great dialogue yeah but it is it does feel like the easy way out i, I don't know what else you would do I'm not gonna. I'm certainly not gonna say that. Oh, I could have written that oh, ending better than Corpse. Sure, oh, I could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's just, it's funny because it's you mo- have to have the big morality moment. Oh no, right? I, absolutely. I, it's just it, you know, there's no reference to that in either of the short stories, right? Which means it was it, it was invented to help complete this film script. And I'm just, I don't know if there's. I agree. It's about showing the better morals of man, and and yeah. and hopefully you're righting wrongs and 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 and, and all that. But because you've got to expose these three men, yeah, for their baser nature. And at the end of the day, even though the woodcutter may have stolen something and he may have lied to a, a bunch of interrogators, it, at the end of the day, he does have a heart. He is a good man. He's not going to abandon this child. Yeah, yeah. And you have to have the priest, you know realizing that, he, yes, I do have faith. My faith may have been shaken by these terrible events, but I am a faithful man. Yeah. And then you have to expose the cynic for just how cynical he can be. And and, and, and I don't I don't think about it too much, you know, because I, I, I see all of that. I think it's just the baby coming up is such a kind of a deus ex machina moment where it's like, yeah. oh, here we go. Here's yeah. the, here's the thing that's going to help solve what we're, you know, what we've been talking about. Yeah. Which, you know. It is what it is. Otherwise, you would have... I think it's it's a necessary deus ex machina. Otherwise, you you could potentially have a very anticlimactic ending to this. Sure. It, it would be something of a stalemate. I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up. Because yeah. it, it does, it does kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. So, not on every single one of these podcasts, but on, on most of them, we talk about an unsung hero. Is there is there a performance that stands out to you above the rest? Or a, or a characterization that you... That you personally like you know i i i don't i think the unsung hero of this movie is um is the script no because i think this i mean the movie itself is really good on the whole but i think the script and how it told the story really inspired a lot of the way that you could tell movies you know in the way that it's not it's not a tradition it's not just linear we're getting multiple perspectives of the same story it was a really unique, original story, and I know it's based off of these these short stories, but I, it just it, its inventiveness and how it told the story. Well, yeah, no, I mean those short stories are genuinely very short stories. You can tear through them in yeah. a matter of minutes. Yeah, I, mean, I yeah I read them I read them yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty quickly. Yeah, just to, so I mean it, I read them before, but just to to get them yeah. in my head again. Yeah, I mean they do a lot with very little. Yeah, and I just I think it's I think the unsung hero is probably. Um, I think it's Hashimoto who came in and helped Kurosawa with the script. Yeah. Um, but the screenplay is, I think, is the unsung hero of it. Yeah. You know, because I think, I think, rightly so, the performances are really good. Um, Kurosawa's direction and the cinematography is it's fantastic. But I, I think the script, and that's what I would go with. I would go with cinematography. Yeah. If not, that was a, that was a, yeah. that was probably a close second. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a gorgeous, sumptuous film. It really is. Yeah. So I think we've already made up our minds. If it's not obvious, this should be in the book. It really should. Um, and, and that's the thing, too. It's, what, 88 minutes? Yeah. It is a quick watch. There's no reason to not watch this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you end up not liking it, which it sounds it's just insane to me, 
you know, you haven't lost much of your time. So. And, and if I had to boil the book down further, if it if it couldn't be a thousand and one, if it had to be a hundred and one movies you must see before you die, I think this film would make that shortlist. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of the movies in that book I haven't seen, but I think this is one of the this is one of the movies that is really good, and also I think is important and changed the way movies can be made. Yeah. From from both a technical standpoint and a way that we tell stories, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. mean, as as we mentioned earlier, it coined its own term for filmmaking, the Rashomon effect. But it's apparently it's a legal term too. Oh, is it? Yeah, apparently. Like oh, in, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll they'll use it too with with test with eyewitness testimony. It's you know. So how, look at that. It's transcended its own medium. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I I honestly believe it should be further up the list of the of the uh, the IMDb top two fifty. There's a lot of stuff in that top, even that top 25 that I, I question. It's, it's, it's that, yeah. Ugh, any list is crazy. I mean, for example, I mean, if you were to swap places with something like, uh, we mentioned in a previous episode that I think Sons of the Lambs is right around 23. If you were to swap those, if you were to drop Sons of the Lambs down to 112 and move Rashomon up to 23, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye at something like that. I mean, yeah, I don't, I definitely... Well, personally, though, what, like, what, which which film do you like more, Rashomon or Sons of the Lambs? Rashomon. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I think I picked Sons of the Lambs. Interesting. But I don't know. That's my gut. That's my. But that, that was reaction. just an, that was just an oh, example. I, I'm just I trying to get Rashomon in the top twenty-five. It's a it's a good movie. I think too. I mean, I think if you could. I mean, it's an it's an it's an older movie, and I you know if you could do like a really really pristine cleanup of it. I mean, the, the Criterion restoration is really good, but like if you didn't if you told somebody this movie was like five years old, and like and like it's like it's like storytelling wise, performance wise, like it it you you would believe it. Yeah, you know. So it's not like it's even it's not dated in any way. Yeah. I I that's my opinion. No, and I completely agree. Yeah. So that's that's a yes from both of us. Um, but if for some reason you haven't seen this movie or you have and you want to let us know what you think, you know where to find us. We're on Facebook and on Twitter at a thousand and one by one. Let us know what you think about this, or if you've seen any other Kurosawa films, anything like that. If you're listening, you can find us on Google Play and Spotify and on um, iTunes. That's that's the big one. Uh, please leave us some reviews, some ratings, some comments. Um, we really do like the back and forth. A little shout out to Cinemus who are doing their own. Which will be uh, this will come out about about a yeah this will come out way long after theirs this you know episode. but if but if you if you don't know them check it out you can give them a listen see what they say about it yeah. anything you anything else you want to plug before we no, uh, wrap it up no I, I'm quite happy with that fantastic well until next time I'm Adam and I am you and we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>